So I'm going to respond to a few of your questions. The range of questions. Someone asking about having the COVID injection, COVID vaccination, and the questioner is saying, well, could you talk about why you've had the COVID vaccination? The question is not interested in getting it until they feel there's been an adequate trial, but accepts they may be forced into having it <laughs> because other people say they're not going to associate with them unless they have the COVID vaccination. And the person also wants to visit uh, United Kingdom. And they're saying, well, you know, maybe they won't let me in if I don't have a COVID jab. Such a huge practice area. I have not found such a divisive issue affecting so many people. The way forward is getting murky. So, <laughs> well, yeah, there's, uh, there's COVID, which some people not entirely sure how much of it there is because you have to rely upon other people's reports. Unless you've got it yourself, you're always relying upon other people's reports. So you think, well, maybe that's just exaggerated or something. Then there's the reports about the vaccines. Well, they say this one isn't so good or this one will give you blood clots or this one doesn't work or it's no good for old people. It's no good for young people. You get another set of opinions <laughs> and then you get the arguments. So there's three levels of, of um, experience and people arguing over what's right and what's wrong. So that's why I just didn't bother to go, <laughs> to go into uh, thinking about it too much. Uh, so particularly I, you know, I live in a community, so then the, the sense is, well, you know, the abbot says, you can have it or not, it's up to you. He's not going to force anybody, which makes it good because it doesn't become an issue. Once things become an issue, that clouds the whole topic. And it becomes an issue, which means there's emotional agitation and and and, uh, and divisiveness around that. So, so first of all, in the Sangha here, we didn't create any issue around it. Divisiveness, saying, you know, it's possible, it's your choice, it's your life. Um, but I, I felt, well, I'll just, I've been having vaccinations most of my life. And uh, you know, I'm still here. <laughs> and I thought, well, I don't want to be responsible for infecting somebody else. And we, because we live in a community, uh, and I don't want to be accidentally infecting someone I feel terrible if I did get this COVID and I accidentally passed it on to somebody. So I just didn't want that feeling of, I don't want to be, of... Um, causing suffering to others so i said okay well i'll have this injection so i had the two of these injections it was, it was quite nice actually because i was able to get out, get out of the monastery it was a social occasion so it's quite 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 fun <laughs> went to the clinic and then people outside the clinic very welcoming and washing my hands giving me gel to put my hands and asking how well I was and then giving me a seat somewhere, a nice seat. 
and they're not very pleasant and friendly. And then they even had a little, kind of talked to me while I was having my injection and asked me, how are you doing? Are you feeling all right? And so I felt quite, quite pleased, quite happy. And then I had to sit down somewhere else for 15 minutes to make sure I was feeling okay. That was very sweet. And then they ushered me out of the back door and said, come back later. So that was kind of nice. I quite, I thought, you know, good people, volunteers, all volunteers, um, doing what they felt was right. Okay, I'll do that. Now, in the community uh, here, I think the one of the monks didn't take it. And um, so that was his decision, okay? And I think two of the nuns didn't take it. That was their decision. So nobody questioned that. No issue, no problem. Yeah. Uh, and I, I still don't. It's up to you. Yeah. I'm not going to... Because... <laughs> It's it's not worth. I mean, issues. When you get issues, when you do get issues in sangha, and it's horrible. It's horrible. It's the worst disease you can get is issues, because <laughs> they rip people apart and they rip friendships apart, and they they get they last for years. The damage you can get with an issue, so they just don't make an issue out of it. Go or don't go. I have an injection or don't have an injection. Don't make an issue out of it. You know, there's no such thing as ultimate right and ultimate wrong. For some people, perhaps, some people got a bad side effect. I didn't get any side effects from this thing. So it's okay. Um, you know, I still, you know, we're so very, so very safety conscious in the monastery, extremely safety conscious and I get a little bit impatient with all that, but I just let go. <laughs> get up, go on with it, go on with it rather than create a problem. Yeah. So certainly, you know, in Sangha life, you just do a lot of this relinquishment of your own opinions just for the sake of community harmony. And um, yeah, I think by and large, that's the way to go. Someone says they have... They may have irritable bowel, bowel irritable bowel syndrome. Can you medit? Can I meditate to ask the bowel to be less irritable? <laughs> well, <laughs> you could do, but I don't think it's going to work. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, uh, it's possible with meditation. You can, you can. I don't know exactly what causes irritable bowel sy- syndromes anyway. But you can affect your nervous system. You can do. You, some people have been managed to he, do healing with meditation, focusing on, a, on an area that's in trouble and bringing goodwill and good energies to it. So you can you can do that. But um, important thing is not is to not be aggressive to the body or try to make it well. If it's not well. Is not well. You shouldn't try to make it well. You should just be kind to it when it's not well. You, know, you don't try to make yourself well. Accept the ill health with a mind of goodwill and equanimity. Body doesn't want to be sick, and you getting upset about it isn't going to make it any better. And you pushing it and getting trying to fix it doesn't make it any better. But they generally are 
kindly and compassionate attitude towards your body. If your body doesn't get well, at least your mind will get well. That's the main thing. You know, dealing with physical problems um, so that the physical problem makes your mind less forceful, more compassionate, less irritated by the state of the body. This is this is good health of the mind. And the mind, the heart is the one you can rescue. The body is subject to aging sickness and death. You can't rescue it. But you can rescue your mind through the relationship to your body. You have a less irritable mind. Someone asks about um, when they're doing breathing out, breathing in and breathing out, notice the breath doesn't go out properly all the way out. As they're breathing out, the abdomen starts, the breath rushes in. So in other words, they didn't get a full relaxed out breath. How can I encourage and steady that so that the in-breath doesn't come rushing in? Um, I think it's probably advisable to... um, Uh, get off the breath at this particular time just focus on um, contentment contentment things can always be better we can recognise things can always be better but um, they could also be worse so the quality of contentment in the mind helps the mind to relax more fully be more spacious and open don't try to make your breath fit into what it should be don't try to make it longer, shorter Um, the person who tries is the problem You've been breathing in and out all your life. It may be there's a certain nervous habit there. Sounds as if something's not completely relaxing. But you can't make it do it. Uh, I would suggest you become simply aware of your body as you sit or stand. Standing can be very helpful because standing helps you to relax your torso. Because they you know, strange. Because you're using your legs to carry you. Let your abdomen, let your abdomen really relax. You know, so if you've got strong standing legs, strong feet, let the belly go, and or if you're sitting, same thing, and explore the sense of the space around your body, particularly around your lower body. Do you feel? comfortable, safe, at ease in that part of your body. If you don't, don't try to be, just notice that nervousness or agitation and practice goodwill towards any discomfort that you feel. Let yourself feel what you feel. do some sweeping so particularly drawing your attention down below the waist 
and through the base of the body down into your legs and down your feet. As you're breathing in and out, try to feel your feet. Don't focus on the breathing. Focus on the soles of your feet. How they tingle. When you feel your in-breath coming in, which seems to be beneficial for you, easy. Notice what's happening in your feet or your hands. When you breathe out, breathe out through your hands and your feet. Don't concern yourself with your abdomen. Breathe out through the hands and the feet. Relax through the hands and the feet when you breathe out. This enables your nervous system to adjust to a more balanced and grounded form, which is the whole body form. So very simply speaking, the whole body form, you should always have the presence of the palms of your hands and the soles of your feet. That really extends your experience of your body. Most people live primarily in their upper body, their chest, their face, maybe their belly. That's kind of, it's very, that's where we feel we are, sometimes up in our head. This means your body energy is, nervous energy is very compressed. You get so used to it, you don't notice it. It becomes normal. But that is a formation. Yeah. Now, if we sense something wider, like the back, shoulders down the back, the legs, the feet, the hands. You extend your awareness and your nervous system and your awareness of your nervous energy through that entire form it means you, you bring your nervous system to the proper extension and become stable. It's no longer living in such a tight area. Now, this is helpful and also the quality of freedom from anxiety, freedom from compulsion. So don't try to get it right. Um, instead, be contented and non-compulsive and interested. Body's doing this. And extend your awareness over your entire body. When you feel that in-breathing feels good, then give more attention to in-breathing. More attention to in-breathing. That feels good. Give more attention to that. Why does it feel good? Enjoy the feeling good. Yeah. And uh, let your mind linger in that happier state. And don't concern yourself with breathing out. It will gradually, that contented state will allow the body to feel more comfortable and relaxed. My suggestions. Someone says they feel they don't meditate so much, feel like meditating less. I don't not daily sit becomes a sitting maybe every other day. 
but awareness is always here and the determination for Nibbana is firm, does it matter if formal practice is less? Um, well, I guess you have to know for yourself, like, what are you, what, what are you doing in the day? <laughs> What's taking up your time? How do you spend your time? You know, of all the three obstacles, main obstacles, greed, gratification, uh, aversion, and delusion. Delusion is the most difficult one because we don't we don't know it. And delusion, we often come up with views and opinions about what we need or don't need or could be or should be, or, and we delude ourselves. So don't make sure, make sure you use something and there's a value in discipline is it just takes you back and you do something like a formal sit. I really recommend it. Uh, it's just a, something you just do without good, bad, doesn't matter. Just do it because it gives you a, a, a checkpoint yeah, on your moods and energies. Mm. So I... That's what I'd recommend. Make make something that's that's um, decisive. Who knows? You know, determination for nibbana is maybe firm, but you've got to do the practice for it. It's not just enough to be determined. I mean, it helps, but um, you know, it's there's there's a reason for these formal practices that they are getting you in touch and in your sitting practice you're going to get in touch with your karma karmic habits um, you know, they're embedded in your body in your breathing your memories and so forth and this definitely brings you into awareness of those and this is what we have to un unravel free ourselves from and often the nature of formal practice is it puts you in a place where you have to stop and witness and be with what arises in a very vulnerable way but do make it something that you approach with a sense of interest and even devotion so I always have a Buddha image so that's very important for me it's a reminder and in a way every morning when I get up first thing I do come to the Buddha bow to the Buddha and uh, you know sit sit there and it's like a, this is my duty uh, and uh, there's no particular lot of effort to make anything it's just sense just check in and sometimes it's not so good sometimes it's good sometimes it's not so good that's the point the point is that um, I stop and uh, check in curious interested is manas an impediment to chitta finding its source or can it be used beneficially manas means the aspect of mind that is associated with attention and organization so manas is the lit, often associated with the thinking process uh, that which is able to classify. Jitta is associated more with the feeling 
being responsive, being sensitive. Yeah, so manas is much more associated with discerning and, and naming and classifying things. Uh, and they have to both be trained. Mm. Jitta can be very impulsive and, and flooded with moods and impressions and get swept away with passions and negativity. It needs to be purified. Manas can be off thinking about this, that and the other and full of ideas and opinions and not actually touching in with the reality of what's happening in the chitta. So you've got to bring the two together. And chitta gets stabilised by the body. The body helps the chitta to be stable. And the manas becomes quietened through that. And through the discipline of returning, just cutting off distracting thoughts, cutting off unnecessary proliferations, investigating the emotional basis behind our thinking. When we're excited or desperate or craving, manas starts getting all kinds of ideas. So you begin to investigate it and purify it. And then it becomes, both of these qualities then become aspects and tools for liberation. Chitta is that which is liberated, gets liberated, and manas plays a key role in liberating it. You have to train manas like a training a, an animal, you know, and then it will serve you. How does it serve you? Because we use it to steer mindfulness. So instead of distracting thoughts, you say, use the manas faculties as what's happening here? What's happening here? How does that feel? This is called yoniso manasikara, deep attention, rather than superficial attention that proliferates and scatters. This is deep attention that does exactly the opposite. It stops proliferation. It says, come back. What's really happening? You're thinking about this, that and the other. Where's the emotion? I feel worried. Okay, now let's look into that. So the manas acts as the tool for inquiry and penetration of mental states and moods and feelings and impressions. Dhamma vijaya, investigate. So you turn that, that thinking mind so it's no longer creating all kinds of notions, but it's got the sense of vitaka, it points, and we're thoughtful, we ponder, how does this feel? Yeah. What kind of attachment is there? Is there aversion? Yeah. Is there a whole sense of me happening in that experience? Investigate. These are the, the, the illusions, the veils that cloud the chitta. We want to penetrate those veils and manas is the tool to do so. But at the same time, it's not about the manas coming up with bright ideas. Uh, it, it's just it's use it as a, as a question, questioning tool. Don't expect you to have any answers. It's a questioner. It's a question that something that questions but does not find an answer. The answer happens, the chitta goes, oh. <laughs> the chitta sees. But it sees because the manas keeps prodding it in the right place. And the chitta releases that which needs to be released or firms up that which needs to be firmed up. The manas is the pointer that 
penetrates the veils of the chitta and causes it to wake up. So you just stop it running all over the place and bring it to the proper, its proper purpose. Um, someone's having problems with their divorce. Um, how can I get over the pain of divorce? Pain isn't something you get over. Pain is something you investigate. You know, we want we don't want pain. We want to get over it. Uh, but you don't you don't deal with it by getting over it. You deal with it by accepting its presence and investigate what is the cause of this separation from the loved. Uh, how did you get separated from the loved? Uh, you know, and so it's up to you. I don't know. Uh, you know, regret, guilt, worry, hurt feelings, uh, sense of loss. Um, you have to come to terms with these. To what extent are you responsible for those those experiences? Uh, be honest with yourself. Learn from life. Uh, learn from life and uh, do better. If you didn't do anything, learn from that. Love ends. Sometimes it ends. You know, relationships just, sometimes they just fade out. Uh, they're not final. They're not secure. You can't have anybody. Um, but, um, so that's something to learn too. And the pain, as I say, you don't get over it. When you feel the pain, it's a sense of investigate. Look into that. Question, when you're in a position of having to ask someone to leave a community because of ethical issues, or particularly someone who's a teacher, and you have to say, could you just take a break? How to do this with compassion, not shutting anyone out of your heart, what is most skillful? Is the room for repair? Didn't the Buddha say, don't kick anyone out? But what if they are consuming so much collective energy that is driving the organisation to such overwhelm it's at the risk of collapsing? Well, the Buddha did say kick people out. <laughs> Not quite like that, but uh, there are various Sangha acts. and they, they, Though the Sangha can get together and the first thing is you just ask the person, you know, do you see this and we're concerned about this and how you're feeling and, you know, ask about concern for their welfare and uh, if they're misbehaving, what's happening for them? You know, can we talk about it? If that doesn't work, then you have to say, well, we feel pretty unhappy about this. Do you respect us since we are feeling concerned about this? And if they say, well, it's just your problem, uh, you know, in other words, they don't seem to be able to to um, um, resolve the issue with your support. You're being supported. We want to resolve this issue. There's things we need to talk about for each other's welfare. If they don't resolve it, then um, there are various. Uh, it's called sangha kama, which means the sangha says, that, "Well, I'm sorry." Then this means you're not really part of us anymore. And this, this could be just for a temporary period, like until you, you know, make amends, you're welcome back. Um, and that's what happens. 
and people do get uh, um, ostracized. There's this example with this um, the Buddhist charioteer Channa, who was because he'd been the Buddhist charioteer, he was very arrogant, and nobody could talk to him. He's an arrogant, bullying kind of monk. So when the Buddha passed away, one of the last things he said was, "Impose the Brahma Danda, which means the big heavy stick, <laughs> Brahma Danda." Impose that on Bhikkhu Channa. And so they didn't even want to go and see him because they were so frightened of him. So in the end, Venerable Ananda got a whole group and they all went to, together because they were so frightened of him, this monk. And they said, Look, we've imposing the Brahma Dandra on you, which means we're not going to talk to you, we're not going to associate with you, you're out, you know. And this so shook up Bhikkhu Channa that he, he, he kind of pulled himself together and made a big effort and realised Nibbāna. So, you know, sometimes people need a stick. <laughs> you know, and it's the, but generally this is done slowly and compassionately, as little confrontation as possible, with encouraging, seek resolution, and, you know, and also the welfare of the community has to be to the fore over the individual. The individual doesn't want to follow the will of the community. They can't be part of the community, can they? When desire is abandoned, how does a get eliminated? Um, well, desire is chun, uh, craving is abandoned. Uh, it's abandoned because ignorance is eliminated. The two go together. Uh, the ignorance that most of us suffer from is feeling that craving will make us happy. <laughs> and so it's a kind of impulsive reflex that occurs. Uh, so if that doesn't affect you if you don't get any craving. It means you, you have eliminated ignorance. But be really uh, circumspect and look into whether you really have eliminated craving. Craving for sense pleasures is, is nothing much. It's craving for immaterial states, craving for um, astral bodies, craving to be enlightened and so on. And there's craving for personhood is the big thing we're addicted to. We're craving to be something. Uh, and uh, the only people who don't crave to be something are people who realise there's nothing. <laughs> you know... They realise the unconditioned. Yeah. And the last topic for tonight, elaborate on the on these terms samadhi, samadhi, uh, which often translates as concentration. Another word, atamaya, atamaya. We don't hear this one so often, but it means not that. And Nibbāna, you've probably heard that term, which means the blown out or the unbound. So what are these about? Are they different from each other? They are different from each other. Um, primarily Samādhi is a condition, um, and the uh, Nibbāna is the, un is the sense of release from the conditioned, and Atamaya is the perception or the view from the unconditioned. Now, um, so samadhi is a conditioned state, it's fabricated, it's skillful, it 
it is skillful, it's brought together through practice, through mindfulness. And, you know, there's a whole, we could talk for an hour or two on that one. Um, but we're not going to talk, I'm not going to talk for an hour or two on it. <laughs> Nibbana, unbound, released from concepts, released from the aggregates, released from, no longer disturbed by feeling, no longer stirred up by mental agitation, no longer forming a person where there isn't one. Mm. Mm. Unconditioned. A tamaya is an interesting term, and it refers to um, the nature of perception. And normally the unawakened being um, sees something and says, oh, that's, uh, you know, that that is a clock, or that's a bell, or that's a cow, whatever they see it as. And this idea, this impression, touches their heart, and they feel, oh, that, 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 you know, they like cows or dogs or something. They get this stirred-up impression. It internalizes, and that stirred-up impression, they feel, is what the thing is. You know, so I like dogs, so I see a dog, and I feel happy and comfortable, I think dogs are naturally like that. And of course, some people, dogs are terrifying creatures. Um, so we'll begin to recognise this experience that I have that may occur for me when I see people or things, this perception that occurs to me where the mind rises up, is moved by that perception. You say, that's a perception, it's not the thing. So... We, with the perception arises in the heart, then we start to say, oh, I really like this, I want another one, I don't want this. The mind gets stirred up because it believes in the perception as being a reality that it can hold on to, gets stirred up. Now, a tamaya means whatever it is, this perception is just the perception, it's not the truth. So it means it's always other than you think it is. A thing is always other than what you perceive it as. So you don't get lost in your perceptions. This is valuable because um, perception, we interpret other people's actions. Uh, oh, he's one of those, she meant that. And we get an interpretation and we believe in it. We believe in it, we start thinking about it. And then we start acting upon it. And this can cause all kinds of problems. We should always have that sense of this is a perception, maybe right, maybe wrong, don't believe in it. Things are always other than perception. And so this is the way uh, that the liberated one is no longer restricted by perception. They're no longer restricted by feeling. They're no longer bound up by their by the mental activations, mental movements. They're no longer stuck in this. These are the aggregates. They've seen through this is just stuff that the mind can create. And beyond that, there's that which is never named, never can be labelled, never can be conditioned by perceptions, interpretations and feelings. So a tamaya, a tamayata, is the ending of proliferation, the ending of stirring, getting stirred up over impressions and perceptions and feelings. 
The Tamayata is the abiding place of the Buddha. That may be a good place to stop this evening.